Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. The belief triad is belief in yourself. We've all heard that in self-development. Believe in yourself. Second part, believe in your art. But the third part is belief in your audience, belief in your buyer, belief that there is somebody who wants what you have and is willing to pay premium prices for it. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 109. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Miriam Shulman. Miriam is an artist and founder of The Inspiration Place, where she helps other artists learn how to profit from their passion and become better artists. She's helped thousands of artists around the world develop their skill sets and create more time and freedom to do what they love. Her art and story have been featured in major publications, including Forbes, The New York Times, Art of Man, Art Journaling Magazine, What Women Create, as well as featured on NBC's Parenthood and the Amazon series Hunters with Al Pacino. Shulman's forthcoming book with HarperCollins, Leadership Artpreneur, is scheduled to be released very soon. We're recording this just a couple of weeks before the release on January 31st. The Inspiration Place podcast is in the top 1% of all podcasts and is listened into to in over 100 countries. Wow, that was some some bio for sure. Miriam, so glad to have you on the show today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited as well. And I'm far from an artist, but I do like to think of myself as somewhat creative. So maybe I can personally benefit as well as, you know, we share these ideas and, and whatnot to the audience at large. So I want to move into um, an era. I didn't mention it in the bio, but I know that you have a framework, a special framework called Passion to profit. So I'd like to learn more about that because I think everybody's interested in finding ways to profit. And I think everybody's interested in following their passion so long as it ultimately does lead to profit or some kind of benefit. So explain, please, what that framework is and how can it help a person turn their passion into a successful business? Okay. So the framework has five Ps and this is not just for artists. So this framework comes from traditional business, any business, you have to have a plan for production. Is it art? Is it sneakers? Is it coaching services? Is it piano lessons? Whatever it is, that's your production. Your pricing, are you pricing abundantly? Uh, prospecting, build, building your audience, building an email list, and promotion and sales, followed by productivity. So, and I know productivity is something near and dear to your heart. So those oh, sure are the is. five areas. And sure just is. to circle back to something you said earlier, creativity is a survival strategy. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to be creative because things change all the time. You you think things might be working one way, you're, you're depending on Twitter 
and something changes, you're depending on TikTok and that gets taken away from you or the supply chain changes, like you're dependent on China. So things are constantly changing in the world of business and marketing. So you always have to be ready to be creative in your business and pivot whenever that is needed. Otherwise, you can't survive if you're always staying the same. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, to unpack there, I am curious, talked for a moment about one of the P's, one of the earlier ones, you talked about pricing, and you used the term abundantly. What did you mean by that? And what would you what is that? What does that look like? Practically, whether you're an artist, a coach, in my case, or, or anyone else who would fit within the model you're describing? Okay. So inside the book, Artpreneur, I have a chapter called Think Like an Abundant Artist. It gives 14 lessons for for how to think abundantly and how to price abundantly. But before we get into any of them, what I'd love to share is a story about a client I met with yesterday. And I asked her to kind of grade herself on pricing. Are you pricing your art appropriately? And she took appropriately to mean um, guess what the customer was willing to spend. And she was lowering her prices thinking that this is all people would be willing to spend. And this particular artist sell makes equestrian portraits. And I says, well, you know, I think that people who have horses generally have a lot of money. And she says, well, these are volunteers. I said, I think people who volunteer generally do it because they don't have to work and also have a lot of money. So for, for her appropriate meant bringing the prices down. And what I meant is making sure you're pricing your art appropriately to the market, to what the market is willing to bear. So a lot of people self-sabotage. And this goes to what I talk about is the belief triad. So the belief triad is belief in yourself. We've all heard that in self-development, believe in yourself. Second part, believe in your art. But the third part is belief in your audience, belief in your buyer, belief that there is somebody who wants what you have and is willing to pay premium prices for it. And that's where we self-sabotage because when we think things like, oh, volunteers for horses don't want to spend money um, yeah. in this particular example. And we either lower our prices or we don't serve the customer appropriately because we are thinking in our minds that they don't want to pay. They're not willing to pay. They don't have the money. When we don't have belief in their audience and the customer, that's where things fall apart and we're not thinking abundantly. Okay. So I'd like to unpack that even further, if I may, because part of the question, of course, is we could think even with your, let's call it pep talk, we could think that they have the resources to do so. And then, you know, when, when the rubber hits the road and you actually share your pricing, sometimes you'll get people who will run with it. Some, and they'll say, no problem. Perfect. There'll be some people who have to think about it. There'll be some people who say that's way beyond my expectation. Is there a process you coach people to and through that helps them figure out what use the term, what the market will bear? Right. So how do you how do you advise people to make that determination? An example of that just the other day, there's a large nonprofit in the area where I live, where I think both of us live in the greater New York City area that had reached out to me for some executive coaching for one of their let's call it silo or department leaders. And um, the person said up front, what is your pricing? This is what we typically pay. 
And I return back, I didn't say it exactly in this way, but my rate is about one and a half times that that going rate that they referenced. And I said, this is my rate. And the person accepted it. And now we now have scheduled call to determine whether or not it's a good fit with that individual. But the point is, I stuck to my guns and said, this is this is my rate. It doesn't mean I never negotiate. But for the most part, I have a rate. I'm comfortable communicating it. And I put it out there. I'm wondering what is the method you share. But by the way, nine years ago, when I got started, I wouldn't have been comfortable doing that. I would have yeah. been like, well, well, what are you willing to pay? Almost, right? Or yeah. I would have been very, very uncomfortable and hesitant in the area of charging, not just philosophically because, well, I'm trying to help people, so I'll help them at a whatever price point, but also because I wasn't necessarily sure of what I should charge, the value that I offer, things like that. And I'm curious, again, how do you approach that and how do you help other people with that? Okay, so... So many things to talk about. Okay. So first of all, I just want to ask you a question about this particular story. Did they sure. have to think about it or was it okay? Well, it was an email exchange. It was an email exchange. So I don't know. It's an asynchronous communication. So it wasn't. But, they like came, was but the next thing they came back with you was yes, right? Yeah. Which is interesting because. Which means company. you could charge yeah. more. You do know that, right? Which probably means you probably could raise your rates. There's definitely room if there was no pushback once you presented that price. Right. Although there are other people who will say, no, that's too much for us. Yeah. So it's okay. interesting. I'm in an interesting place. I, I like there's a company, a local company that is having me move forward with one of their executive with, with executive coaching for one of their, you know, higher end managers. At the same time, they've been extremely so resistant, let's say, I don't want to say difficult, but resistant. It kind of feels like difficult sometimes um, in terms of getting to a price point which which they can which they can work with. So it's not a given by any means that my rate is a slam dunk for everyone I speak with. Simultaneously, there are plenty of people who accept it at face value. And yes, I am in the process of um, re reimagining my rates moving forward. Okay, so First of all, I just want to tell your listeners that, and we will we will talk about many of these things. Inside Artpreneur, there is a chart for overcoming objections because you will hear, I have to think about it. It's too expensive. It's blah, 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 blah. So we, we will we will get into that. But I also want to point out for your listeners that if when you double your rates, you don't need everyone to say yes. You only need half as many people now to say yes to make the same amount and serve Correct. those clients better. So just let's put that out there. But what the point is in the overcoming objections chart that I give, and let me just put this from the get-go, put this out there. It's not about getting a yes no matter what. It's about being compassionate with where people are coming from and understanding their mindset so that you are able to let people say no to you and find the people who will say yes to you at those higher rates. So the decisioning, the, the purchase making decision, that decision that goes on in the buyer's mind, it's usually not about you. It's not about whether you, um, the name, I don't know the name of your consulting firm, but not Tolly Hoff. It's not whether you're Impactful worth coaching, it. but yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not whether you're worth it. It's whether they're worth it. If they're worth investing that money, if they're going to, they're have a fear of making a mistake. And this is true no matter what you sell. So with art, it's not whether me, Miriam Shulman is worth spending 
$5,000 on a painting. It's whether they feel comfortable spending $5,000 to buy a painting for themselves. And it doesn't matter what you sell. This is the decision-making that's going on in their head, whether they're worth it. When you know that, it becomes much easier to overcome their objections because you're understanding that it's not, it's not really about you and your price. It's about them. And that's true of all business. It's always about the other person. We always make it about us. It's always about the customer. So let's translate that into very, I, I like to be um, action oriented and practical. And I think what you're sharing is, is very deep and has a lot of wisdom behind it. But I want to turn it into something. You talked about compassion, but you also talked about this piece about making it all about them. And is it worth it? Are, are they worth it? So how do you guide somebody through a process where you're demonstrating, you say compassion, I might use the word empathy as part of that, depending on the nature of what the conversation is. But ultimately, where I want to get to is how do I make it about them so that they see the situation from their vantage point so that they can determine yeah, it really is worth it for me because here are the benefits. This yes. is how I'm going to grow. This is how yes. my life will be improved. So talk us through that a little bit more. Absolutely. Because in your mind, if you think that the only thing that they're thinking about is the price, you're putting too much emphasis on the transaction rather than the experience and the results. And what they care about are the results and the experience. And it's going to depend a little bit on what you're selling with, with what I'm selling, with art, with anything that gives people pleasure. We're focusing on the pleasure. When you are solving problems, then you have to focus a little bit more on the pain they have now and future pace them so they can imagine what they're, so in terms of you, what the business will look like after they've they've had this investment with you. So you need to focus on that and not make it about the price anymore. Now you see high-end restaurants will do this. When you go into a high-end restaurant, you will not have the currency symbol on the menu. And this doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether you're in Jerusalem or New York, uh, you know, you don't you if you go into a high end restaurant, it just has a number. And the reason they do that is because studies have shown that when they take the currency symbol off the menu, people think less about the number as being a transaction of money and they focus more on what they're getting and the emotional experience of it. So, yeah, so you need to focus more on the experience and less on the transaction, less on the things. Hmm. Less cool. on the, you get X number of Zoom calls. Nobody cares about Zoom calls. You know, nobody cares about how long you're going to spend with them. So that's making it about you and your time. So here's an example. Like if I were to go in for a root canal and the dentist um, said to me, it's uh, whatever, I don't know what root canal is. What is it? Three thousand? Who knows? $2,000. I have good I, I was told that in Manhattan where you live, it's about three grand, but in other okay, areas there it's we less. Go. Okay, so let's let's go with my neighborhood. Luckily, I have good teeth, but three thousand. Let's say it's three thousand dollars, and yeah. the dentist is not going to say um, it. It takes six hours, therefore it's worth more. If he said to me, "I can do your root canal in half an hour," I'm in. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want it to take more time. It's not about the time. 
not about the time. It's about the result you're getting. And sometimes people don't want like to hear about that. It's like 12 Zoom calls and, and, and you know, all this time it's going to take them. So you have to think about what's in their mind that is come, getting in the way of making a decision. Mm. Now, a lot of it, and this is why we talk about the belief triad, belief in you, belief in your product, belief in the customer. If you're getting a lot of, I'll think about it. You have, there's a couple of things going on. And if you think it's the price, you're thinking the wrong things. Cause a lot of times it's not the price. Um, if you're getting a lot of, I think about it, it could be because you offer too many options and the decision, you made the decision too difficult. It could be that you're projecting uncertainty. So if you have doubts about the, about yourself, if you have doubts about your product, or you have doubts, even if that customer will get the results you're going to offer or should be investing that kind of money or has the money. So you have those doubts in your mind about that customer. You're going to be talking in a way that projects that uncertainty. They will pick up on it. The brain hates uncertainty. It only wants certainty. So if they feel it any way that you're uncertain, they will pick that up and that will lead to uncertainty on the part of the customer. Okay, that's been incredible. And I want to, if I can, I'd like to back us up a little bit because we're already making an assumption that somebody is in business and we're already going through the process of how do you get your clients and how do you talk to them and ensure that okay. they are willing to pay for your, your product or service. What are the... The first three, I know you talk about this, surprising steps to starting a business that will empower you to be a true entrepreneur, because I think a lot of people have ideas about what starting a business looks like, but we obviously want to start it successfully. And sometimes we don't realize what that truly means. Okay. So a lot of times uh, people think that the first step is print business cards, um, get an LLC, pick out a logo. And the very first thing you really need to do is to create a container, a separate bank account for your business. Now you can start off seeding that money from you know your personal funds or from a loan or whatever. But going forward, all your decisions about your business um, will be so much cleaner if all the money coming in from your business goes into this business bank account and all the money going out comes from that. It makes it so much easier to decide what investments you need to make. And the other thing that I hear coming up from, from people is, oh, uh, now this is, this is true a lot. If you, if you, you may hear this from people who, if you're trying to get, who are individuals, who solopreneurs, maybe they want to see if they want to invest in coaching. They may say, oh, I have to ask my partner. Now, unless it's a business partner, you shouldn't have to ask your partner if you have a separate bank account. It mm -hmm, makes it so mm -hmm. much easier than not mixing business and personal. So that's one simple step that I see yeah. people get wrong is you have to make that accounting um, both, both a mental and a physical container for your business separate from your personal. Nice. So it's interesting you say that because my background, as I might have mentioned, uh, certainly my li my listeners know this, is that I'm a former educator and school leader. And I transitioned into leadership coaching. This goes back almost a decade at this point. I hung a shingle, you know, put a website together, didn't really have much of a framework, certainly didn't understand the business side at all. And it took a while for me to go through the actual process of creating a formal um, business entity within my state and then eventually turn that into an LLC 
and have the appropriate, whether it was a bank account and, and, and business cards and things like that. I'm not talking about marketing cards, I'm talking about credit cards, but all relating to having a separate siphoned off entity, uh, which has many, many benefits. And of course, if you are an LLC and you have the ability then to um, write off many expenses and of course, protect your business in a variety of other ways, a lot, a lot of benefits in doing so. Um, but creating that distinction, like you said, because oftentimes we just think, well, I'm just going to be out there providing service as Jane Doe. And it's really not about Jane Doe, it's Jane Doe's business. And you're operating it from behind that. And that makes a huge difference on many, many levels, not only in terms of how you see yourself, but on the practical accounting. And also, of course, your, your, your tax and whatnot. You need to have that framework in place. And that's an important step I would I would encourage everybody to do on the front end. Absolutely. I mean, and it's not, it, it's just also your mental container. Because otherwise I'll hear people say, how much should I pay myself per, when I sell a painting? I was like, mm -hmm. All of it goes into your account. Right. So she, she, I, and then when she asked me that, I knew that she she didn't have it separated. Right. Right. And you have to do that. Um, and, and by the way, for me also and my wife as well, because we tithe. So we actually have created a separate account for that. But we start putting the money into the, the appropriate accounts first. And then we subsequent you know we we transfer that money over and then from there we give our charitable contributions and our donations and that's an important piece as well for anyone who feels that that's a part of what they want to do to sort of make themselves more expansive and a vessel if you will for goodness and blessing and, and bounty and all of that um so I, i'm curious to know you talk about charm pricing and prestige pricing i didn't hear it in your comments before but i know it was something that was shared with me in advance. And I'd love to hear more about it because each one sounds pretty cute and clever and more importantly, like something I'd want. But what makes something charm pricing? What makes it prestige pricing? And which one do I, do I really want to, to pursue? Okay, so let's let's talk about what charm pricing is. And most people know about charm pricing. They may not know it's called charm pricing, but this is where I've never heard of it before. So yeah, I'm curious. no, most people don't know it's called charm pricing, but you right. but we all seen uh, a package of Hanes at Walmart priced at $14.99. Okay. Now Walmart is doing it for two reasons. One is they are letting their customers know that they're counting every penny because they want to attract the penny pinchers. Mm -hmm. And the other reason, so the charm pricing is so it's perceived as underneath the next threshold. So it's perceived as it's not $15. It's in they you, your brain will perceive it as being $14. Mm -hmm. So even though we're all smart enough to round up, we still, that's how we do it. So something may be a course that would be a $500 course, you would put it at $497 instead of $500 because your customer would perceive it as being in the 400s, even okay. though we're all smart enough to round up. That's that much. Pricing. That much I am familiar with. Okay. We've all seen that. Yep. Now, why would you want to use a rounded number, prestige pricing? Several reasons. First of all, I talked about at Walmart, they price things because they, where they want to attract penny pinchers. Do you want to attract penny pinchers? That's a good question to ask. Do you want, because if you're, if you are letting your customer know, know that it's a nickel and dime experience, they will nickel and dime you throughout the whole experience. 
So for something like a coaching package, you wouldn't want a high-end experience. You wouldn't want to price it at 3,999 or whatever. You want to do 4,000. Okay. Correct. Now, studies have shown that when pricing champagne, so a a $40 bottle of champagne sells better when it's priced at $40.00 than it does at $38.97 or $41 and whatever. And that is because rounded numbers are processed by the emotional side of the brain. And non-rounded numbers, like $39.97, are processed by the logical side of the brain. So which side of the brain do you want your customers using when they are making a purchasing decision with you? When it comes to something that's a luxury good, a high-end product, you want them to use the emotional side of the brain. Hmm. I did not know that. And I do try to study psychology with some regularity. So that's cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about a couple more things still during this segment. One of them that um, is of interest to me, because I know we talked about, I can't recall if it was during the during our, our, our actual recorded conversation or the pre-conversation, but you know, sort of staying in sync with the future of marketing because it's a it's a moving target. I mean, I certainly have seen it even in the few years I've been in the field. And and by the way, I knew almost nothing about marketing before I got into coaching because in school leadership, outside of marketing my school, which wasn't even my primary responsibility, it really wasn't something that I did on a day-to-day basis. But now I've got to do it all the time right, in order to ensure that people are aware of who I am and what I can offer, et cetera. So um, as you look out into the future, tell us a little bit more, please, about this piece, right? What is the future of marketing? How does one stay in sync with it? What does that process involve? I love this question, and I can't wait to get climb on that soapbox. So when I wrote this book, uh, I, made a, I, I made a case for traditional marketing and email marketing over social media. And when I got my first developmental edits back, the editor wasn't too happy with that. She's like, oh, well, she's in her 50s. I guess she doesn't believe in social media because she's old fashioned. And so then when I went to edit the book, I made a stronger case for why the future of marketing is email and not social media. When I first started writing Artpreneur, the average engagement rate on Instagram was 1%. By the time I went to edit the book, it had dropped to 0.6%, not 6%, 0.6%. And for influencers- What does that mean, the average engagement rate? Okay, so if you have, if you have a- thousand people following you mm-hmm. 0.6% would be six people engaging with you in terms of either they're liking or commenting on your posts. Okay. It's six out of a thousand. That's not a lot. No, it's not. Even now my emails th- do better than that. That's correct. That's why yeah. email and there's lots of research to back it up. So mm-hmm. uh, the, before we get to the, the emails, So what about influencers? There's so many people teaching you how to get better engagement on Instagram, right? Yep. Okay, so the average engagement rate for for an influencer, it's it's better. It's better than 0.6%. The average 
engagement rate for an influencer is 1.12%. So out of a thousand people, that would be 11 people. Wow. That's not a lot. No. And I think it's dropped even more since I edited the book. So as part Mm -hmm. of my marketing promotion for our preneur, I've been going live on my Instagram channel. And when I go to my, and I have 25,000 people following me when Mm. I go live. So if you go to pick up your phone and pick up and, you know, go to Instagram and click um, to go live right before you hit live, it tells you how many of your followers are actually on the platform, not, not yep. willing to engage with you, but are actually on. Right. How many do you think are on the platform out of 25,000 people? Uh, not Take a, a lot. At 25,000, I would uh, say 25,000. 300. 300? Uh, okay. I've been doing this at different times of the day for the last few weeks. And the most people that have been on the platform at any given time was 67 people. Wow. Not tuning into my live. Let's not make a mistake. Nothing just, to do just with what I'm there. doing before just I even, even there. just even there. Wow. It's almost like you got to direct message them in advance saying, Hey, I'm going live. <laughs> get on, get on the platform or something. That's crazy. Okay. So what about, so let's go back to email now. So people say to me, but Miriam, not everyone opens my email, right? So let's just talk about averages. We're all going to assume that we're better than average, but the average open rate, let's say 25%. So if I have I'm a somewhere thousand, around there. yeah, right. Okay. So if you have a thousand people following you, that would be 250 people not 12 and not six. Now, but here's the big difference. Here's the big difference. The, 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 when somebody receives your email, they decide whether or not they're going to open it. When you're on Instagram, the algorithm decides whether they even see it. That's exactly right. And I've never met an algorithm that seems to like me, by the way, <laughs> I've noticed. Well, they like you if you pay for it. That's right. And that's, that's right. they're a business. So let's be honest. They're a business. Sure. They have their to make platform. money. Yeah. And that's the way it. it works. That's exactly right. My goodness. There's so much more I want to discuss with you. Um, we do have to transition in just a moment, but I cannot do it without asking you a question that I ask all of my guests now. And that relates to the biggest mistake you've ever made. And the reason I ask this question is because... I only have very successful people on my podcast. And so whenever we're having conversations that sound like, you know, wisdom, success, experience, all that stuff, it sounds like somebody was kind of born to be successful. And we oftentimes don't see the messy parts that lead up to this opportunity or this this stage in, in, in our development. So share with us, please, Miriam, something specific that you went through that you've learned from and have become more successful as a result of. Okay, there's so many things and a lot of them are what we talked about today. So first of all, I didn't, I did not, I only knew about charm pricing. I did not know about prestige pricing. And that's because when I started off selling my art online, eBay told us we would make more money if we priced it to the penny, but that's because that's who shops on eBay. So there's mistake number one and mistake number two. um, So I've been in business for over 20 years now. I was about 10 years in before I started my own email list. And there was a huge inflection point in my income and my sales when I began marketing and building an email, marketing through email and building an email list. So my biggest mistake is I didn't build an email list sooner. 
Got it. I'm with you. Um, thankfully for me, that was not um, part of my strategy. I actually reversed it. I was much more into email than I was into social. In fact, I wasn't even on social media at all because in my circles, in the Orthodox Jewish community, social media did not have the most positive association for a variety of different reasons. And some of that I think is very valid. But either way, either way, that's how I did it. And thankfully, I had that foundation. But I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're going to transition now to rapid fire and rapid fire, those quick responses. I hope you don't mind this first one. It's a little bit of, uh, it might almost have a little bit of association bias. But I'm just curious, And uh, from 1 to 10, I ask some of my guests this question kind of randomly there. From 1 to 10, how weird are you? Oh, I am an 11. <laughs> so I actually have a chapter in my book called Embrace Your Inner Weirdo. Ah, maybe that's where I got it from. I wonder, because I, I I thought that's a super question for you. All right. If you had an hour with one person who you never would otherwise meet, and it can be a historical figure, who would it be? Um, Rabbi Heschel. Mm, interesting. Next one. A book you most often gift or recommend? Uh, okay. So I recommended this just recently, Status and Culture. By w, I think it's w, Marks. I think Marks is the last name. I'm not familiar. It's Tell brand new. It's brand new. It's it just came out this year. It's fascinating. Regarding like what is the focus? Um, it's talking about how culture and status, the interplay and how everything is about pushing against what came before it. And I think in terms of anyone worried about artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, artificial intelligence is based. OK, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Do you want me yeah, to really yeah, go yeah. on and on? We're going to go too deep here. No, no, no. OK. No. Okay. I'm deep, but so I like, you, right. but I will tell you, I am using artificial intelligence for a lot of my content creation lately, and it's been a huge benefit for me. So I yeah, want to use it as a tool, but I don't feel that it threatens me as an artist or a creative no, person. No, no, no. And even as a coach, I think it's really a separate piece. But when it comes to creating content and even put together some um, small elements of my book that I was able to utilize. So it was really very, very helpful. Anyway, last one is a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Okay, well, let's let's use the AI thing. So you know what I've been using ChatGPT for is to help me write better customer emails. Because mm. I used to like slave over like these difficult like questions that would come my way. And I would I just write, I write what I want to say. You know, yeah. like, like get lost. You know, I write what I want to yeah. say to chat GPT. And I think, what is the nice way to put this? Oh, and that's been clever. very val valuable. I got, uh, that's, uh, I've not used that angle yet, but I certainly will moving forward. Okay. So Miriam, how can listeners uh, find you, reach out to you, learn more about your work, get a copy of your book? Where, where should we be going? And of course, it'll all be in the show notes as well. Okay, so Artpreneur, you can get it anywhere, but we do have some super duper bonuses. If you go to artpreneurbook.com, it won't cost you anything extra. You can choose the book from your favorite site, even your local independent bookstore, and put your name, email, and order number. I'll set you up with those bonuses. And if you like what you heard today, come find me on the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm super deep and super weird. And can I give a freebie out? Is that allowed? Sure, of course. Okay. So if you want chapter one for free, uh, go to shulmanart.com forward slash believe. That's chapter one is choose to believe. And that way you can 
try the book out chapter one totally free my gift to you thanks for listening today sure and don't forget that shulman includes a c after the oh, s oh yeah thank you that's right sure because I, I i've seen i've seen how it's spelled differently okay so miriam You've given us a ton. We've talked even longer than normal because this has been fantastic. And I just would love to continue, but um, I want to make sure that we 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 wrap it up um, within our regular time frame. But I wanted to ask you for one final life lesson, something inspirational, something insightful uh, to end our session today. Okay. So I ended Artpreneur with keep marching forward. And what I mean by that is when you believe in yourself, you need to continually take action, even when the results are not exactly what you want. You are always in charge of the actions you take. Just keep marching forward, not in place, one foot in front of the other. Awesome. Love it. Great way to wrap up the session. Miriam, it's been an absolute pleasure. So happy that we spoke and so happy that we're speaking so close to your launch. You should have, as we say in the Hebrew, Mazal Tov, uh, a tremendous flow of abundance from above and uh, much success in all of your endeavors. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Tava Rabah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 